Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Coaches Corner University Podcast. I am Paul O'Neill, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by one of my great friends, uh, coach with Master Athletic Performance, multiple business owner, and just all around great dude, Nat Galloway. Nat, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I've been uh, looking forward to sitting down with you, having a bit of a chat. So yeah, yeah. It, it's always weird to me interviewing my friends because like we chat every day. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You already pretty much know everything. Yeah. yeah, trying trying to be in a position where I'm like, tell people about what you do. It's it gets a bit it's awkward for me, but at the same time, like I love doing it because without fail, every time I speak to one of my friends about the things that they're doing, I learn a little bit more about the reasons why they do what they do and kind of their motivations. And, and that to me is really, really inspiring. So excited to hear you know what you want to share. And hopefully I learned something about you in the in the process. Yeah, for sure. Um, so again, your coach with master athletic performance, primarily training and nutrition, uh, you work with a lot of young power lifters, but then you also do in-person training primarily in a rehab setting and you do photography and you have an apparel company. Yeah. Yeah. So why well, so busy, going. man? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think big thing was during COVID is obviously everybody that was in a gym saying was out of a job and was probably making a substantial amount less money than what they was before. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, lots of things, you know, I was sort of sat at home and I was like, well, what can I do to keep myself busy and give myself something to actually do where I can sort of make money? And that was when Chosen Man Barbell at the time came in. Um, so capable, violent professionals is what they're called now. But uh, yeah, so basically started hand-making T-shirts myself. I got the press and I got the vinyl and, you know, all that stuff that Jordy does over at Bacon and Barbells, like stamping on the actual vinyl. And all the I didn't know that. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was doing literally from the get-go all of it by myself for a pretty long time. And then we started to outsource uh production to other companies and stuff like that as i got a little bit busier and why why the rebrand recently because that was a couple couple months ago you worked pretty hard on rebranding the website the name of the company everything to capable violent professionals why yeah so obviously chosen men barbell is kind of specifically tailored to a particular group of individuals um chosen men was the name that we were sort of termed with when I was in the military. And basically everybody that served in my regiment who did sort of cool things and sort of represented the regiment in a good way, uh, got given the term chosen man. And it's sort of like a name that we take pride on. It was used sort of during uh, the Napoleonic Wars. So Battle of Waterloo was when my regiment started to become a thing. Okay. And it's been a term used ever since then sort of thing. Big thing with that is obviously all of my apparel is literally just for those guys. And I wanted to open it up more to more people so that I could design more t-shirts and stuff like that, which isn't specifically geared just towards those guys. I love it. I mean, yeah. the, uh, I mean, the first time I was ever introduced to you, I mean, was through Stuart and he was like, you know, you got to meet this guy, cool British, British military veteran. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me meet this guy. And uh, honestly, not at all what I thought. I thought you'd be like this super hard-nosed, high-strung person, and you're the most laid-back dude. 
but there's always been a lot going on in the background, which is, which doesn't surprise me that you looked at COVID rather than a burden in being like, okay, I'm out of a job. Cause at the time you were working at good life, right. As a personal trainer. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing very well at good life. Like I was, yeah, doing remarkably well considering I'd only been there for like a year, um, was one of the top performers for like hours and stuff like that. So yeah, as soon as that sort of disappeared from my life and I was left with absolutely nothing to do other than sell my butt and drink beer all day, it was like, well, I can't keep this up forever. Like I got to do something. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you started a clothing company and now that's, that's grown into what it is today. And like, what, when did photography come into play? Because Galloway Media, I mean, you've gotten pretty big. Like you've done a lot of really cool stuff in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I'm super proud of how well that side of things has gone with the photography, considering it's only been a year and a half since I picked up a camera for the very first time in my life. So it's pretty incredible to see how quickly that's managed to progress. But uh, originally it started as a way for us to produce media and content for chosen man bubble capable violent professionals um so that we could sort of grow the business and market a little bit better come up with some cool pictures uh make sure everything's in-house so we don't have to go to somebody else to produce it so that it's all our style and stuff like that but yeah it was literally just taking pictures for that side of things and then also for practice i would start taking pictures of all my friends in the gym yeah um and then all of a sudden they started turning around and being like yo i'll pay you for these pictures if you want and i was like well no like i'm not really a photographer or anything i'm just yeah i remember getting the hang of it and then more and more people started coming forward and being like yo i want to work with you so i was like okay maybe it should be something that i could monopolize and uh add to the business and yeah the cool thing about all three of those is they all sort of worked in synergy together really because the t-shirts draw attention you know you're out in public and somebody goes what's this website they end up looking at it they end up getting back to my profile seeing the coaching then they end up jumping on the photography for that side of things and seeing that i'm doing that and going to a bunch of meets so they've all sort of like fit together perfectly um as sort of like a little puzzle that uh really open up my streams of income uh, because that was definitely the biggest thing that I realized whilst working a good life. And even whilst in the military, it's like, it's one stream of income that you're dependent on. Anything happens, you're, you're pooped, like you're screwed. And it, it happened during COVID. So that was like a big one for me is like, I got to change and sort of adapt and make it more sustainable, I guess. And that's something like, so in a roundabout way, we kind of just touched on a topic that I I really like returning to when I speak with young coaches about, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, I want to, I want to coach training. I'm like, okay, cool. That's great. Like, let's get started with that. Here's, here's how we're going to go about things. And I'm like, have you ever, you know, do you have the tools to coach nutrition? Is that something that you enjoy? Eight times out of 10, probably they're like, yeah, I enjoy coaching nutrition, but there are some that don't, which is fine. Um, but the ones who start coaching nutrition all of a sudden look at their business and they're like, wow, I have multiple verticals now. And then they start coaching nutrition and training together. And that's a third vertical. And then they, they start looking at, okay, well, what other thing can I build out programs? Can I do different things? And while it's still under the umbrella of coaching as a whole, the more business verticals that you have, 
the more resilient you you create your business because if one is down, the other can come up. The other piece that you capitalized on almost seemed like intuitively was rather than having silos where each part, each business, like we'll talk, you know, capable, violent professionals, then you have coaching, then you have uh, photography with Galloway Media. They're actually more of an ecosystem than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the way I like to look at it. Yeah, and and keeping with that, within that same vein, you looked at your environment, you looked at the resources that are available to you, and where we live in Ottawa, we train at the only, basically the only gym where if you're a fitness influencer, you're going to be. Yeah. So yeah. you're like, well, I have a photography business, and all of these people need pictures. Why don't I start offering an a la carte photography service to these influencers where they don't have to produce their pictures? I can just turn them over for them. And now you, you know, you're at every step along the way. I, I'm just trying to, to illustrate for people listening, like rather than looking at the constraints you were provided with, you looked at everything as opportunities. Yeah. And you yeah. tried to leverage those opportunities. Has that been something that you've always done or is that a mindset that you've kind of cultivated um no it's it's something that i've always sort of like thought of but like probably one of my favorite quotes is winston churchill uh the pessimist always sees difficulty um whereas the opportunist always sees opportunities in pessimism i can't remember the quote off the top of my head exactly close enough Exactly. A lot, a lot of people, yeah, as soon as it gets, a lot of people are in a pessimist mindset. And as soon as one thing goes wrong, it's kind of like game over for them. And it's like, everything's up and down. Like nothing's going to be perfect. Like you can't really change much, but you can do something to contribute towards it and hopefully it'll get better sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, do you think the, do you think time in the military kind of showed you that? Yeah, because, yeah, in the military, you don't really have too much of a time to be a pessimist and sort of like that nagging Nelly that sat there in the back going, I hate this or this is stupid and all the rest of it. Because it just doesn't work and you don't get anywhere and then you end up failing anyway because you didn't really seize the opportunity when you had the op- where you had the chance sort of thing. You just sort of sat there in self-pity and didn't do anything about it sort of thing. So, Well, and the consequences yeah. are very dire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you definitely put into a lot of situations where it's not looking that great and things are not going well. And you just, yeah, you just got to put yourself and have faith that things are going to pan out. And I think luckily I've been around for a little while now and been through a lot of different situations. So, and I know I managed to get through those situations just fine and come out the other side of it and been fine so yeah there's no reason to believe that another situation like that is going to destroy me and ruin my life completely sort of thing so i think honestly that i was speaking with someone the other day and and it was like a very innocuous situation and and her reply was when i asked her if she wanted to try something she goes well, what's the worst that could happen yeah yeah literally yeah no it's funny actually we was talking me and emma was talking about our first date the other day uh for those of you listening emma is my girlfriend um but yeah literally first day i've never been ice skating in my entire life and i thought it'd be pretty fun to go ice skating so funnily enough on the very first day i said to emma you know we want to go ice skating and we went ice skating i was like a bambi on fucking ice 
And rather being rather than being concerned about sort of like making a fool of myself and embarrassing myself, like I'm, I live in Canada, like every fucker here ice skates, I don't. So, <laughs> um, you know, it looked absolutely awful. Uh, but yeah, just like taking an opportunity, like that was an opportunity for me to go onto the ice canal and, and learn to ice skate with somebody that knows how to do it sort of thing. And also managed to build an amazing relationship just from that moment. So um that's, that's yeah. really cool that your relationship started with you making a complete fool of yourself <laughs> yeah yeah no i enjoy sort of just giving things a go it was definitely the case when i sort of took up snowboarding for the very first time didn't do any training didn't do any lessons didn't do any practicing just took the ski lift to the top of the hill and figure out on the way down sort of thing so yeah, it's kind of the way that I like to do things. It's definitely a lot more like hands-on learning rather than learning a lot more beforehand sort of thing. So, yeah. Listen, there's so there's so much we could tease out of that because to me, one of one of the quotes that comes to mind is, you know, the best way to learn is to jump out of an airplane and build a parachute on the way down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely the way I think about it, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're already out of the airplane. So all you got to do is try. Um, and in business, in life, listen, time doesn't stop. And this is something that I, I'm constantly reminded of. It's like time doesn't stop. So you're constantly running out of time. And if you spend all of your time thinking and planning and perfecting and i'll use perfecting in quotes because nothing's ever fucking perfect well you never actually get busy doing stuff and trying things and you truly never know what you're actually going to number one enjoy number two be good at and number three see any sort of return on investment from unless you go ahead and try so you're in a situation where you served in the British military, you moved to Canada, you start, you were a personal, was personal training the first job that you had when you moved here? It was, yeah, yeah, good life with uh, Stuart at the time, uh, but yeah, literally, that was it. I think I was, I didn't really have much of a plan. Uh, this is where jumping out of the parachute might take a little, jumping out without a parachute and building on the way down might be a little bit tough for most people. Uh, but when I left the military, I did not have a plan whatsoever. I didn't know what I was going to do. I think the day that Anthony, so the, the guy that was the manager of Good Life there, uh, called me, I was also going in to start my first training day at Joey's uh, Reno upstairs. Are you serious? He, and I did an interview with him previously, and he called me up and was like, hey, you got the job. And I was like, Sweet. Didn't even turn up to Joey's that day. I was like, well, fuck these guys. I'm not working there. I'm going to go be a personal trainer. So, yeah, was very, very fortunate there. I think you made the right choice. Did you have yeah. any? Did, so, I know when you were in the military, you helped out with their training quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to school for, for that? So, in the military, usually the way it starts with like physical training instructors is what we call them in the British Army, is they will sort of get taken under the wing of the head physical training instructor. Okay. And he'll start to teach and get you prepared to go to a specific school to do a course. Uh, it's called the RAPTC school. Yep. You have two different streams. So you could go to that school and become like a full on physical training instructor and be a part of the RAPTC. 
or you can go do a very basic six week course. I think it is. Um, and then you will go back to your unit and you'll be sort of into unit RAPTC where you just train a small group of individuals sort of thing, rather than being high up and in charge of like a giant group. So, um, yeah, so there was some training, um, but in all reality, like military training, do not prioritize strength that much. Right, it's running, push-ups, sit-ups, rocking. Yeah, and, and for a very long time, the the definition of being a good squad would be, or a, a good soldier, was being able to run a mile and a half in under nine minutes. And that was all you had to be, or all you had to do to be termed a good soldier. So they didn't ever take it into account whether or not this twig that could run a nine minute mile and a half could actually carry somebody, get somebody out of a situation, actually carry their own body mass across certain things and all the rest of it. So I started to get into strength training. Luckily there was a, a guy called Sean who was the head PTI uh, at the unit that I was in. And at the time I was trying to lose a bunch of weight and coming from a boxing background my way of losing weight was to put on a sweatsuit or a sauna suit with multiple layers and sit on a bike just pedaling away for absolute fucking hours sweating my tits off until i lost about 20 pounds in body weight um and that was sort of all i knew because of boxing and that's how we did weight loss and all the rest of it without truly understanding water weight doesn't really equate to actual weight that much. Um, yeah. So yeah. And he turned around and said, why don't you just start getting into strength training? Like, why don't you start doing like CrossFit stuff? And that was sort of like my doorway into it. Started doing a lot more CrossFit training, started deadlifting, all the rest of it. Before that, my mile and a half time was maybe under 10 minutes. Um, so it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad either. And all of a sudden, I was able to deadlift 500 pounds. And coincidentally, at the exact same time, I was able to run a sub nine minute, mile and a half. And all I had done was start to integrate strength training and sort of more uh, CrossFit style stuff into my sort of lifestyle, I guess. And you also played rugby too, right? So you boxed, you played rugby. Yeah, I played rugby for the unit and also the British Army uh, as well for a couple of games. So. Okay. Yeah. So you're coming into this from from a sport background. You have we'll call it some rudimentary training from from the military, and then you jump into good life fitness, where you're primarily working with general population people. How did you go about leveling up your knowledge to actually be able to to serve these clients? Um. So I was very very fortunate that we had a very very good uh, click at the gym that I was working at. Obviously, Stu was there, and there was a couple of others who are also incredibly smart individuals, uh, such as Anthony. Um, hmm. and got the opportunity to actually learn from them a lot more. Probably the biggest challenge when I stepped down from the military and started training normal or sort of like c civilian population. Um, was definitely being able to regress it and realizing that the standard in the military is much, much higher than what your everyday 40 year old mom is capable is, of doing. So is it the, like, this is where I'm going to play devil's advocate because I've seen a lot of military people. I don't think the standard is higher. I think the adhere, the expectation of adherence is higher. So 
when you get to work with gen pop people and I'll use my, like I'll draw the parallel between when I was working in a college setting versus when I transitioned into disability rehabilitation, I go from motherfucking 300 pound defensive lineman in a, in a weight room to trying to convince little Sarah, little Sally, 50 year old woman with the, with depression that going outside, isn't going to kill her. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, I mean, that's a stark. Yeah. It's contrast. a big difference. Um, but at the same time, yes and no. Like, I definitely believe the military gave me the opportunity to sort of see where somebody is at as an individual and sort of push them along in the right direction and sort of know what they need in terms of hold hand-holding to sort of get them to where they want to be. And that was really good because I was very fortunate as well because I wasn't the fittest person for the majority of my military career. Um, and it wasn't until I met the PTI Sean, um, that he sort of held my hand a little bit and sort of guided me in the right direction. And that was when everything started to change for me substantially. So he made a huge impact on sort of like my mindset when it comes to training people. Unfortunately in the military, you used to train in such a big group of people all at the same time. So it's very hard to go down to the individualistic level. So usually what we do is we end up trying to uh, become very individual with the people that are struggling the most. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you got that guy hanging out the back of the run. Instead of like <laughs> running off into the distance, you sit back down at the back with him and you go, what's up? Like, what's going on? Like, and just chat with him, get him through it, push with him and all the rest of it. So. So that's a fantastic preparation for getting into gen pop. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah. I thought it'd be much more of a challenge than it was, but uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty easy due to that. I mean, so, okay. So let's, let's talk about photography then. Like you got into photography, you picked up a camera. How did you learn? Just doing it. Just taking pictures, watching YouTube videos. Um, I had the opportunity of also working with some other photographers Um Dave over at Kodiak was definitely yep. a big inspiration um, for all of the stuff that he's done because he's an absolute phenomenal photographer. Agreed. And I literally just reached out to him and just asked some general questions and he pointed me in the right direction. And then that was it. I'm doing that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, I've been very, very mm -hmm. fortunate to be surrounded by, since moving here, especially to be surrounded by some absolutely amazing people um, that have helped me through thick and thin uh, sort of thing. And I've always wanted to see me do well, which has been really nice. Uh, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And well, sort of the way I never do things. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to blow smoke up your ass for a second because it's really easy to want to help somebody who puts themselves out there in such a positive way. So you have to give yourself credit in that regard. It's not like, it's not like people magically appeared and they were like, let me hold your hand and help you through this. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to fucking put, you, you got to put in the work. You got to put it out into the world that you are somebody who is eager to learn, eager to work hard and wants to be better. Um, it's like speaking for myself, like I see it every day. So it's really easy to say, I want that guy to be a part of what I'm doing. How can I help him move forward? Um, and I mean, you mentioned the people that you've had in your corner, like with photography, Dave, Dave is amazing. You know, for people who don't know who Dave is on Instagram, it's at death vibes, death, death X vibes, something along Or Kodiak Barbell has amazing photography work. Um, yeah. You know, 
Stuart Locke, who was a mentee of mine, good friend, um, for a very, very long time, taught him as much as I could. Um, and then even, uh, even Anthony, I went to school with Anthony. Yeah, no, it's so, funny how super funny small enough, world. all in the same sort of circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it all it all comes together. But the the biggest piece I want to like I want to point out is he just jumped in and he did it. And then not only that, like I just spoke with uh, a gentleman named Ethan Grossman last week on the podcast, who's uh, Ben Giannis's training partner, IFBB nice. Pro. And the entire podcast is about how when he wanted to learn something, he just looked at who was doing it really well and went and learned from that person. And this wow. is a recurring theme. Every yeah. fucking week I jump on this podcast and I want to talk about like, hey, like what, like what books did you read? And they're like, yeah, I read some books, but I went and learned from a person. Yeah. I went and volunteered my time or I went and like paid money to learn from somebody. Yeah, invested. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big thing. Yeah. And yeah, to me, that's that's so, so important. Um, and then what I want to get into now is I think the conception, the, the concept of a coach or or a professional in any any regard, and please correct me if you don't agree, but is, you know, a jack of all trades is a master of none. But it is very, very hard to build a sustainable business that you enjoy every single day doing one singular thing. And you know, you have photography, coaching, in-person training, and apparel. All four things you love doing, right? So you don't have anything in your life that you despise or that, that you know, pulls from you. No. And, you know, I have coaching, educating, mentorship. I love every single part of my business yet I'm still doing three different things. And I would say that I'm pretty good at them. Been doing them for almost 20 years now. And I think as a coach, and we'll speak in, we'll speak specifically to coaches. It's really okay to have other interests outside of coaching. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. <laughs> if you don't have any interests outside of, outside of coaching, then yeah, like, Coaching can be very, very challenging. That was probably one of the biggest things at Good Life is like the amount of hours that you do there is absolutely insane. It was there six days a week, expected to be there nearly 12 hours a day. And if you didn't love what you was doing, then you wasn't going to stay there for a very long time because you do go through a pretty tough time. Um, but it was thanks to like my love and passion that I realized, you know, that I could go further with this and do more for myself outside of here. So I think, I think it comes down to cultivating like the life that you actually want to live. And yeah, I, I think for me, I do my best work when I'm creative in multiple endeavors. So like you, I created an ecosystem that feeds into itself, right? I coach clients, I educate coaches, and then I mentor coaches. And it all flows back in because a lot of the clients that I coach are also coaches. So it's an ecosystem. Your businesses all feed in through each other. People are going to find your apparel. They're going to get coached by you. The pictures get taken and more, like more and more people see what you're doing. And I think that the, high, the, the reason there is such a high churn rate in coaching of 
people come in, they try to start coaching. They can't, they can't make it work or they grow to hate it because it, it isn't what they thought it was. And then they leave or they think they can make a quick buck at it. Yeah. And then yeah, they yeah. hate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like think about, I mean, speak on that. Like, I mean, trying to turn over a 12 hour a day, six day a week job into a life that you want to live that had to have played a role in why you decided to diversify. It definitely did. Um, I didn't want to be at the gym 12 hours a day, every single day of the week, as much as I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a lot of time, but yeah, I literally just saw what was holding me back and preventing me from loving this quite as much as I should, or as quite as much as I could, I guess. And one of the things was working those ridiculous hours was the biggest thing where I was like, this is the only thing that makes me hate this job. It's not doing the job. It's not working with people. It's working for this amount of time, doing this one very thing every single day with clients that really aren't that interested in their goals. Majority of them didn't turn up um, sort of thing. It's usually a good life. You end up with a lot of sort of... Uh, a lot of a lot of people that have more money than sense and they're willing to throw it away quite mm. a substantial amount and it just becomes very frustrating they think that all that they have to do to make it or get where they need to be is to sign up and pay for coaching and it's like no like you need to put your time and your effort into this as well there's only so much i can do especially being a, as a pt at good life it's like i see you maybe once or twice a week for two hours the rest of the time you're left alone outside in the world to do your own thing and make your own choices and you choose not to because you spend these two hours once a week sort of thing with me um but yeah it was definitely grinding on me quite a bit and was probably one of the big reasons why i was debating doing something else and then instead of doing that i just thought why don't i just change the way that i do things why do i make it more a sustainable part of my life so instead of working six days a week in person why don't i just cut back down to two sort of thing and work in a place where i can work with clients that are invested in their health because they're injured and because they want to get better and all the rest of it so yes i end up dealing with like the generic sort of like everyday worker sort of person at the clinic but because they're injured and all the rest of it and they're already paying to go see a chiro they're invested in their health and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. It becomes very, very easy to help that person and sort of point them in the right direction to get the rest of their goals sort of thing. So it became a lot more enjoyable for the people that I was working with. And then I was enjoying it a hell of a lot more working with them and stuff like that. So yeah, setting and uh, time with, with the biggest things that sort of made me have a distaste for it. Well, and if if I'm if I'm not mistaken, just doing the quick math here. So if you went from coaching in person 12 hours a day, six days a week, to coaching in person two days a week, having an online coaching business, doing photography, having an apparel business, I would venture a guess you probably still work close to the same amount of hours. Pretty much. Pretty much. But life is completely different when it's on your terms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of people get stuck working in sort of sands like that purely because, I mean, biggest one for me is like I had very little experience. It was sort of the first thing that I had done since leaving the military. Pretty much the first job I had since leaving the military other than the military. Uh, 
So yeah, experience was probably one of the biggest things that I wanted to get the most out of. And fortunately you're working all that amount of time. It's very quick to gain that amount of experience. And if you can get your everyday person that isn't interested in getting stronger, stronger, then you can do it for absolutely everybody that's willing to invest in themselves sort of thing. So yeah, and it became more about finding the clients that I want to work with rather than the client, anybody sort of any Joe from the gym walking in and being like, I want to work with you. It was like, now I have a gateway to be like, I don't want to work with this person because I don't think this is going to work out for you. Maybe you should go see somebody else sort of thing. So yeah, it just gave me a little bit more control of those sorts of things. So, Well, I, I love that. And I think that's a perfect segue into the next piece of the conversation, which I want to touch on is building an online coaching business is not easy, right? <clears throat> and I mean, I've I built a business helping other people build businesses. And the reason being is because it's not easy. And you made a great point of you have cultivated this ability to say yes to the people you want to work with and no to the people that you don't want to work with. But you're doing it in a way where actually the people who you don't want to work with don't even contact you anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Because you yeah. so directly target those people that you do. Yeah, because that was the biggest thing of working in the commercial gym is like your opportunities are given to you rather than you finding the opportunity for yourself. So you'll end up getting booked in an appointment, like they call it fitness styles when I was working there. Uh, probably the same thing now. As soon as you get a membership, you'll get fitness star appointment to sit down with a personal trainer and have one free session when it's literally just an opportunity for us to sell you personal trainer. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to build a relationship. You don't really actually get to talk much to them other than trying to sell them something. Um, so it becomes, you have no idea as to whether this person's going to make and be a good client. Whereas now majority of my clients come to me and we're starting to have conversations first more than anything. It's people that I meet in the community and stuff like that. And I already have a good idea as to whether or not I would be a good fit for them and whether or not they would make a good client that would do well with powerlifting. So, And okay. So let's chat about powerlifting a little bit. I've noticed you really are gravitating towards that beginner level powerlifter. It seems to be something that you're really passionate about those, those individuals who maybe haven't done a meet before, maybe have done one. uh, They just want to get into the sport. Why that population? It's the most fun because at the end of the day, like I love powerlifting. It's something that I've become very, very passionate about. And I want to be a part of building that community as well. So I really, really love getting more people into it, especially I have like a lot of fantastic young women on my roster that are doing absolutely incredible things. I'm really, really proud of them. And yeah, I just absolutely love it. Like they've been doing this for maybe a year and they're coming in and they're just absolutely crushing it and having the time of their life sort of thing. So really, really brings me joy to see somebody come in and just have that much of a good time with it. I was very fortunate. Uh, I worked with Stu as a beginner mm-hmm. uh, and he shares just as much passion as to helping get people into powerlifting as I do. So, yeah. I love that. The uh, You mentioned something really cool about like the, the aspect that powerlifting can have, like the, the, the change it can make for the individual. And I think that's something that gets glanced over a lot of the time because powerlifting is seen as this, you know, macho sport of heavy lifting, but 
when I think about powerlifting, my mind goes to the same place as you, where, where it's an opportunity for us to look at success and failure based purely off of our own effort, success and failure based purely off of our own output versus some other person's subjective image of us. And that was to me, like that was a really hard transition going from, you know, competing in powerlifting for 13 years and then doing a bodybuilding show and knowing that like, I worked harder than everyone else to get onto this stage, but that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> Cause all that matters is what I look like. The background piece of like how I got there does not matter at all. It matters about what I look like. Whereas a lot of what we're trying to do, especially for the young females that we work with is no one cares what you look like. As long as you're happy with what you can do and you're seeing yourself build yourself forward. Yeah. Like I actually, the reason I bring up that subject is because, you know, Cassidy, your, you know, your client made up, it was almost like a post in passing about how she struggled in the past with her body image and then credited you with the change in her mentality. And dude, I hope that you looked at that as a huge success. Yeah, no, I absolutely love moments like that where, uh, you know, People are going are going through difficulties outside of powerlifting, but powerlifting has been a means to help with that difficulty outside of powerlifting sort of thing. So, you know, she came to me and she said, I want to be one of the best powerlifters. I want to go to Worlds. I want to qualify for Worlds is the first thing that she said. And I was like, okay, well, these are the things that we're going to have to do for you to do that. And we took a look at her diet, uh, took a look at her nutrition and all the rest of it and saw sort of that fruit, that low hanging fruit. That's like the biggest thing that we can do right here is for you to get better at this is to consume as much as you possibly can and get bigger (laughs) and uh, focus on gaining as much muscle mass. Cause I mean, most 19, 20 year old girls, you know, uh, especially Cash, she came out of gymnastics, not a crazy amount of muscle mass and stuff like that. So very lean. Yeah, incredibly lean. So to actually sort of give her a more healthy relationship with food that's hopefully going to do more for her outside of powerlifting than it is in is super fulfilling. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. Same with like the people that I work with in the clinic and stuff like that. Even some of the older ladies that I coach, uh, such as Lana and stuff, like it fills me with joy that you know, those, those women have children and those children are now looking up to their mom and being like, my mom's a badass bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. stuff like, that. like, um, and then they come away from it feeling confident because they're the strongest person that they've ever been and the strongest version, or they managed to attain the goals that they wanted. So yeah, no, it just brings me a lot of joy. Cause you know, I was, like I said, fortunate enough to be surrounded by amazing people that wanted the same for me and helped me. And I love the fact that I get to give back and do the exact same thing for other people that they did for me sort of thing. So, Oh yeah. I, I love, I love that you're like, we get to see the impact beyond the barbell, beyond the sets and reps. And so, yeah. you know, I gave a talk last year at Swiss about, you know, how to have the biggest impact on the people that you coach. And I didn't mention the actual training a single time. Nice. Good. Because Good. honestly, like, yeah, the training's cool and they're going to do it, but it's how you frame that training within the context of the relationship that you're building with that person. That's going to dictate 
really what they take with them. And, and this was something that I've had, like, like you said, you've been surrounded by some great people. I've had, been, had the pleasure of working with some really incredible coaches along my journey. And it was, it was Todd Hammer when I was at Robert Morris University who kind of hit home to me that like, when I was at South Florida, we were a division one, a school at the time I was there, we were ranked fourth in the nation in football. Every team was turning out pros over and over and over again. So the, the percentage of people that are going pro, although, although low in general was still very high. I go to Robert Morris where it's a division one, double a school. They're in the playoffs, but they're not very good. None of these guys are going pro. In the two years I was there, we had one guy go pro. He played for the Falcons and he played for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, nice, Marcellus Branch, great, great kid. But yeah, that's one kid. No, if you play so, for a football team that I've heard of, you do it very, very well. Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I bring that up is Todd was the first person to ever point out like the lessons we teach these kids in here are going to help them in their job, in their relationship, when they have children, when they have a family. So he taught me to think beyond the sets and reps, beyond the four walls of a gym. And that's something that I have taken with me through every, every step of my professional journey is how can I find a vehicle to help this person improve their lives? Yeah. And so we found powerlifting as being a major vehicle and when we go to meets, like you and I have been to a ton of meets over the last couple of years together where, I mean, the average age is probably 18 to 24. Yeah, it's uh, a much younger crowd taking part in it. Like it used to be a lot of ex-sports players who didn't really make it in sports because of various reasons who sort of took it up. Or game but now it's like, yeah, now it's like a sport that people are coming out the gates as early as like 16, 17 partaking in it and that's been a change pretty much that's been taking place whilst i started uh like five years ago that i've got to see sort of grow a little bit more so so what are some things that you feel are very important for coaches to really impart on those beginner lifters go ahead you're back there we go i think my wi-fi just cut out <laughs> um Sorry. So my question was, what is what are what are a few things that you think we as coaches really need to hammer home when we're working with young clients, especially clients that are getting into powerlifting? Um, I would say probably uh, younger clients have the ability to sort of go all in as much as possible and sort of commit their entire life to it. Mm -hmm. So you need to be somebody that sort of like points them in the right direction and says, hey, back almost. Yeah. exactly, this isn't sustainable. Uh, at some point you're going to get injured and you're going to mess yourself up. So just being aware, like a lot of younger people are willing to go that distance a little bit further and push themselves to the extremes as much as possible. Um, it's probably one of the biggest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's one thing like I look at in my career. It's like, I didn't have any patience. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Did, my, I did my first meet when I was 21, I think. Okay. <clears throat> and then, you know, ventured into the open class in 20, when I was 26. But between 
26 and 30, I added 400 pounds to my total, like 100 yeah. pounds a year. Yeah. And I didn't deload a single time in four years, trained through pain, all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, you know, if I did that from 26 to 30, and now you're getting kids at, at 19, 18, 19, trying to do that. What are they going to be like when they're my age at 35, 36? Yeah. You're going to be destroyed. Chances are, if we look at the stats, look at how much drop off there is in powerlifting. Now the amount of burnout that we see of athletes, like, if we could have just convinced them to take it a bit slower, they'd still be competing. They'd still be setting PRs. They wouldn't be injured or bored or hate the sport. Yeah. 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 It's a long game uh, for sure. I think the biggest problem is the whole juniors category and open category. Oh, because that his window is super small. It's like what? Three, three years, three to four years, 19 to uh, 23, I think. Yeah, so like that's a super short period of time. And then all of the people that are entering that category have great expectations and they're starting at 19 and within four years, they want to be on the world stage competing at the highest level and all the rest of it before that junior sort of window runs out. And I think people get very, very hyper-focused on that sort of category when they're in it Mm -hmm. rather than looking at the longer picture and sort of longer term thing. So I can see how it's difficult for an athlete to sort of be like, Maybe this is going to happen after this sort of category. The other, sort of- the, the other thing that jumps out to my mind, especially when we're working with younger athletes, is in a lot of instances, they will look at us as more than coaches. They'll start to look at us as like, we'll say big brother figures. Sure, um, yeah. And I can, only, I can only speak to, actually, you know what? I was going to say I can only speak to my to, to, for our situation as men, but I actually see it with Olivia as well. These young women who come to her for coaching, they look at her as a big sister. They look, they look at her for guidance outside of just, you know, what should I eat? What should I train? And I think one of the best things that we can do for the young athletes that we work with is showing them that the same effort that they put forth in the weight room should be the same effort that they put forth in everything else, whether it be school or their job or potentially pursuing the career that they want to pursue, uh, or even starting their own businesses, like that sort of effort and intensity that they can put in in the weight room does transfer. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, it's it's like we talked about all of these little parts that take place or sort of parts of life that improve people's life outside of powerlifting, but it all comes around full circle. Like if you're having a bad life outside of powerlifting, you're probably going to be recovering better. You're going to be sleeping better. You're going to be happier, all the rest of it. You're eating more because you you need to be better at powerlifting and stuff like that. And it all just returns into this one big sort of circle that sort of turns into a giant snowball sort of thing um, on your sort of progress because absolutely everything is is going well. So like as much, we can only do so much to correct that in the training room, whereas like we need to take a look at what's going on outside of the gym to see how we can make that training more beneficial and more worthwhile, I guess. So, yeah. And I, I see that as a tremendous privilege to, to have when you're coaching younger lifters. And I'm actually really happy to see that you've kind of carved that niche out for yourself as like, I want to be that person who gives them their introduction to powerlifting because you're someone who understands the big picture of what this can be. Um, yeah. So, okay. I mean, the the next reasonable question is, uh, 
what's next for you business-wise across everything that you're doing? Um, yeah, pretty much photography wise, going to be doing a lot more meets, hopefully, uh, working with some more individuals like Shelby at the moment, like more pros that go into big shows and stuff like that. Cause I absolutely love working with those people. Um, very, very interested to learn from those guys as well. Um, sort of their point of view. Um, in terms of the apparel, we're going to be rolling out some programs very soon where you can buy like a 12 week program tailored towards like the goal while serving in the military or any of the other emergency services sort of thing. So right. how do you be, do strength training whilst having the expectation of your daily requirements sort of thing? Mm -hmm. uh, Cause it can be a big struggle. Cause I find same thing that sort of goes on with those 19, 20 year olds that start powerlifting where they become very, very hyper-focused on the now or the next two years sort of thing um, is that they tend to have like a really, really hard time looking outside of that. And then the same thing with the military is they end up just doing way too many things all at once because they believe they're Iron Man or invincible. So they end up doing strength training five times a week sort of thing. So that's one of the things I want to address in the program is like as a military personal personnel, you don't need to be going to the gym five or six times a week, dependent on the job that you're required to do. Even two times a week could be more than enough sort of thing. So less is more perhaps with the expectations and the recovery that you are expected to sort of do whilst in the military, less is definitely more because you're not just recovering from the gym. You're recovering from a very stressful job. You're recovering from all of the stuff, the training and all the rest of it that you do. So there's a lot. So yeah, your ability to actually recover from that is going to be a hell of a lot less, especially as your life is so stressful. So taking a step back and realizing that five times a week probably isn't actually helping. It's probably actually creating more stress on your life. Um, just doesn't seem to help when you could probably get more than enough stimulus two to three sessions a week sort of thing, depending on how those sessions are happening. That's funny. Actually, when I, uh, when I have the pleasure of coaching any first responders or any like military professionals, there's two camps. There's the people that have enough time to do two really good sessions a week. And then the people that have not enough time and need to do really short, frequent sessions. Yeah. So like one of the guys that I'm working with right now is doing five sessions a week, but they're like 30 minutes long. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all he needs. Yeah. Yeah. No, more than enough. So, but yeah, similar sort of thing. Like you just end up trying to do way too much all at once and your priorities aren't in the right place sort of thing, or they're just not really acting in your favor, I guess. So. Cool. yeah and then with coaching you're still accepting clients i assume yeah still got some space online and i have in-person space over at the cairo clinic so on tuesdays and fridays um also have availability at 613 on those other days monday wednesdays thursdays to take in-person people pushing a lot more of the coaching i definitely want to work with a lot more individuals in sort of similar situations to Cass because she's been incredibly successful um, and I'm starting to see a lot more people in this sort of same situation as her stepping forward and asking for help as well, which is really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, she's potentially got worlds next year or being at the meet this weekend goes as well. We're off to PEI to go to Easton's. So we'll be, we'll be there this weekend. So that's another thing with the coaching. Maybe I'll see you at worlds next year. 
hopefully hopefully yeah could hopefully have dylan yeah yeah that'd be pretty dope yeah. uh you know what okay let's, let's just let's blow smoke up his ass for a little bit this kid has, <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about the junior no. class no he's in there for the long game and it's incredible because he's still chipping away week after week adding those two and a half pounds when he needs to or when he can and it's fucking working so i know and it's absolutely amazing to see the long-term effects of this on that individual because like i'm 30 and i'm only just lifting as much as that guy so it's going to be pretty, pretty special. Yeah, it's going to be pretty special to hopefully see him still doing this at, at my age with 11 or 12 years experience and, and see what he can do sort of thing. So, yeah, it's going to be incredible. I mean, like one of the biggest people to look at is, is definitely Dave Hoff, I guess, um, in terms of like playing the long game and waiting as long as possible. Like that guy has been doing it since, what, 15, 16 or something crazy like that. Didn't, didn't break the world record until he was over 30 years of age sort of thing. Like that's how long it took to get to that point. So, yeah. So total 3000 pounds and squatted a thousand or benched a thousand in a full meet. Yeah. 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 So, which is fucking insane. That's so pretty not bad. Yeah. Even in, as much as uh, we may shit on a quick lift us a little bit for uh, depending on what their numbers are, like that's something fucking else. Like I don't give a care what equipment you were wearing to put a thousand pounds above your fucking body and fucking bench it, take some fucking balls. Like <laughs> nutty. I, yeah. uh, all right, let's do a couple quick hit questions. Number one, do you crack the egg on a flat surface or on a side of a pan? Side of the pan. <laughs> Barbarian. And then you just use the, use the shell to scoop out all of the cracked shell bits from the egg. Emma cooks your eggs, doesn't she? No, I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. If it wasn't for me, Emma would Emma would definitely be skinnier because she would be living off just chicken Caesar salads for an entire life. But <laughs> that's what she. <laughs> <laughs> um, five people, dead or alive, who's at your dinner table? Uh, let's go for a classic: Brett uh, Churchill, uh, for sure. Uh. Dave Tate would be pretty dope, um, as well as Louis Simmons. I'm um, trying to think somewhere outside of that. Uh, some of the guys from Band of Brothers. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things that inspired me to join the military was watching Band of Brothers from a very young age. If you haven't watched it, it's worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, growing up, I was very fortunate enough to go and visit the D-Day memorials, uh, memorials over in uh, oh, wow. France, Normandy. Like my dad, my dad's a full-on tour guide, like as well as serving in the military and doing all the things and now serving out in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he's a tour guide and he would be able to take you on any battlefield and explain everything to the absolute, absolute teeth. But we were very, very lucky to meet guys that were part of Band of Brothers who had served during World War II and were actually there oh, uh, wow. as a young kid, like 13, 14. And those guys were the people that I sort of looked up to as a kid. Like, I wasn't into many sports other than rugby. And even then, I probably looked up to one or two people who played rugby. For me, it was like these veterans that served sort of thing. Um, so... It would definitely be Captain Dick Winters, who was the guy who led the Band of Brothers. Um, that guy would be number four. Who would we go for fifth? 
let's go with you, Paul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Bring you to the dinner table. Podcast over. No, no. But so no, good. No, just, uh, just wanted to say, like, absolutely appreciate everything that you've done. It's definitely been a game changer working with you. I think subliminally, we've always worked together. Mm. I had coaching for Stu and, and you was coaching Stu at the time. And he's also somebody that guided me and gave me all the tips that he was giving you. Um, so, yeah, no, just wanted to say a big mm. thank you and appreciate all the hard work that you've done. It's been appreciate life changing. That, so, appreciate that. Um, last question. Who's someone that you want to see on the podcast, but you have to help me get them on? I would have to help get you on. Uh, hmm. That's a tough one. Especially as I don't know that many people. <laughs> <laughs> what about a uh, Brit? So a Brit, someone that you know from, from a, uh, that's, uh, that Cuba, uh, Sylvester clan or whatever his name is. Silva, Ch- yeah, 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 yeah. He would be very, very, very interesting individual. Uh, I love the sort of bodybuilding style that he brings to the table, and I think the bodybuilding sort of style that he brings is very relevant to powerlifting, sort of hypertrophy training. Okay. Uh, um, as well as I guess Jordan Peters uh, would be. I would love to chat with Jordan Peters. Yeah, yeah, He's Jake- crazy, like. I love how honest he is. Yeah, uh, what he's done to get there, um, and sort of called bullshit on like everybody else trying to take the safe method for a lot of things. Yeah, uh, but yeah, very same thing. Like I find his training very very relevant towards hypertrophy for powerlifting as well. So cool. I could yeah, I could work on that. Yeah, I think JP and and Cooper. I think there's a few people that. I think there's few. People that'll be able to chat with those guys. I don't think I've yeah. ever really seen JP on many podcasts, so there might be something there. But... All right, yeah. make it happen. All right, dude. Hey, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining. Um, people can where can people find you? Uh, you can hit me up at Coach Nat Galloway on Instagram, Galloway Media on Instagram, and Capable Violent Professionals on Instagram. Um, yeah, those are pretty much all of my links there. So Perfect. yeah. If yeah. you guys are looking for some continuing education, please check out www.coachescorneru.com. And if you're interested in coaching from myself, Nat, or anyone else on our team, love to work with you. www.masterathletic.com. Thanks everyone so much. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And we'll catch you next week.